Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 151 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's March, the weather is on its usual spring roller coaster, and we've been planning some queen rearing for the coming season with our Coaching Plus group on Patreon. So stay tuned to hear some of my thoughts of this season's queen rearing activities. short and sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, and welcome back to my small but perfectly untidy office. I'm actually at home in my study. I call it the study, but it's the third bedroom. That is way too small for a bed, so it's become my workspace, really. Desk, computer and chair, enough room for the printer and a couple of shelves for my beekeeping books and that's me pretty much out of space. Of course there is room for a cup of coffee, a much needed cup of coffee first thing in the morning when I need a helping hand to get my sleepy brain into action for this podcast. Uh, Not that it's terribly difficult to find topics to write about at the moment as we head into the new season. With everyone gearing up for the big start here in the UK thoughts obviously turn to those first inspections. A bit of last minute feeding, equipment cleaning and checks, and building additional hive parts for expansion and replacement in some instances. Early season disease checks of course, and the list seems to be growing day by day. Growing because at the moment I'm certainly not able to get out to start those initial checks as we're stuck in a spell of pretty blustery wet and windy weather. The winds have been really blowing and we've had a couple of days of torrential rain sweeping across the country again. I did check the forecast earlier in the week. Here comes my weather forecast folks. The forecast was in fact for this wet and windy weather so they got that spot on but it also said that next week we would likely be having some calmer days and sunny spells with daytime temperatures pushing up into the 12 to 14 degrees Celsius range. That's maybe around 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Certainly in the calmer part of the days, lunchtime or thereabouts, it would have definitely given the opportunity to take a quick look in some of the hives. Unfortunately, the forecast has now changed to show temperatures barely getting to 10 degrees Celsius, so I don't think I'll be getting the roof and crown board off any of the hives next week at all. Of course, it could all change back to warmer temperatures, so I'm sitting tight and watching the weather. This week, I've spent a bit of time, actually quite a bit of time, having a little stock take at the unit, making sure I know exactly where the equipment I need is stored and exactly what I have ready to go. One of the blindingly obvious outcomes of having more kit is that you need to be more organised and as my office shows being organised isn't always top of my list but anyway being more organised and in control of where you have it all otherwise things can go sideways quite quickly. I discovered one of those issues this week. Nothing serious just misplaced kit a consequence of not having everything in one place I think. Anyway I have a batch of feeders which I was given 
that need a ply coverboard on top of them, otherwise the workers can get into the main body of the feeder and drown. I found the cleaned feeders, but not one of the coverboards, and I was left scratching my head wondering where I've left them. They're probably at the workshop, but it's always frustrating when the equipment isn't neatly stacked away, ready for use. Of course, it's my own fault, my own inability to keep control of my general tidiness or lack of tidiness, but I hope and think that I am getting better. All of the brood boxes and supers stacked neatly on movable dollies have either drawn comb or wax foundation in them, and we have plenty to go around for the first mad rush of spring has arrived, and when we need to start supering the bees. It was actually a nice exercise to have a tidy, something of a spring clean, if you will. No sign of wax moth in any of the drawn boxes, I'm pleased to say, so we should hit the ground running when the time finally arrives. As you all know, I'm moving over my honey production colonies to the honeypore Langstroth hives, and we're experimenting again this year with plastic frames. This week, I started waxing the frames, and in true early season beekeeper optimistic style I feel quite good about how it all went. So the plastic frames are completely plastic, the outside frame and the foundation that's fixed into it in the middle. The bees really don't like this plastic foundation without wax on it so it needs to be coated with molten wax prior to use. Last year I have to say I got it terribly wrong and I'm still a little unsure as to exactly the reason. I suspect there were multiple cock-ups on my part, to be honest. If it could have been done wrong, I probably did it wrong. So I've taken advice, chatted to other bee farmers who use plastic frames successfully, and thus far followed their advice. Firstly, the frames have to be coated. I tried several attempts at using the frames with bare surfaces, and the bees pretty much ignored them completely. Secondly, I don't think I used anywhere enough wax. I tried to be frugal with the wax. After all, it's a valuable commodity, and the bees have to work hard to produce it. It was a false economy as it turns out, so this time I've been very liberal with the wax. Think glazing on a donut. I knew I could get a cake reference into today's podcast at some point. It looks like it's going to be around 50 grams plus of molten wax, which gives a really good coating with some of the wax puddling in the well of several of the cell impressions. I'm hopeful that the bees will accept this offering, but we'll have to wait and see, I guess. 50 grams of wax, of course, on each frame means I need around 25 kilos for all 500 frames that I have. So, Bear this in mind if you're thinking of trying plastic frames. I'd hate to think you'd bought a load of frames on my recommendation or suggestion, but didn't have any wax to coat them with. As ever, I'm feeling very positive about this process, and I have to say the Logar wax clarifier has been brilliant at getting the partially cleaned wax rendered down, clarified and ready for use in this process. It's taken a lot less time and as a result, a lot less electricity. So I've saved a lot of money in terms of the costs in heating the wax each time. One good blast in the Logar unit and it's decanted into moulds ready for storage. Job done. So that's been quite successful. So 
On to the other topic of the day, that of my queen rearing plans for this season. The topic came about not just because we're getting ready with our general plans for the summer, but it was the main topic of our Coaching Plus Zoom meeting on Wednesday evening. If you're not familiar with the Zoom meetings, or indeed Patreon, well, firstly, Patreon is my beekeeper support page, where I publish the majority of my beekeeping videos, the podcast, this podcast, gets its first airing. In fact, if you're listening to this March podcast and it's not via Patreon, you're probably listening to it in April as it goes live in the week it's recorded for our patrons and then is published generally around four weeks later. If you'd like to have access to something in excess of 800 posts about beekeeping, then do pop to my Patreon page and check out the different access levels. The Zoom meeting this week, specifically for our Coaching Plus support tier, was the first of a two-part discussion all about queen rearing. It seems there's a real hunger for information about the queen rearing basics, and as I said during the meeting, if you've got a colony of honeybees and they've swarmed on you at some point in the past, then you're already taking part in a queen rearing programme. You just don't know it, or more importantly, you just don't have control of it. And I'd have to say, first things first, keep it as simple as you can or need. I made this point several times during our discussion. I find many beekeepers get hung up on techniques that will produce far more queen cells than the beekeeper could ever imagine using, or indeed have the equipment available to deal with them all. Without doubt, one of the easiest ways to produce queens is from swarm cells that your colony or colonies may produce. These are well-provisioned, plump, large queen cells generally that most of us would struggle to produce using other methods. The bees are at their peak of queen cell production and want to produce queen cells, not being forced or manipulated into it by beekeepers. The trick here is to get in step with the process of queen rearing and control the timetable a little better than just simply panicking when there are queen cells in the hive. And this season, I hope to be able to demonstrate a wide range of queen rearing techniques for all levels of beekeeper, whether it be beginner or the more experienced beekeeper. I've discussed the artificial swarm method at length previously, and we'll probably kick off with this method. A straightforward split of a colony, removing the queen and flying bees from the brood. It's actually helpful in this instance to think of the colony in three distinct parts, the queen, the flying bees and the brood. Take two from the rest and you'll get queen cells pretty much every time. Once we've nailed the artificial swarm, I've no doubt we'll find some on-the-spot queen rearing. Finding a queen cell or two and simply moving it and some bees into a nuke box is again a very simple way of producing new queens and increases. One method I've not been so successful with is the Demarie method. It's kind of like a vertical artificial swarm. I have to say it's been many years since we last tried, but you don't need a huge amount of additional equipment, just someone to help you lift what could be some very heavy boxes. It's just occurred to me that we'll also be creating a split with the top bar hive, this time a horizontal split rather obviously, but something not too unlike the Demarie method. It's why I put so many entrances in the sides of the top bar hive. We may get several splits going, 
see how many queens we can raise in one top bar hive. If nothing else, it'll be good fun to try it out. Moving back to more traditional methods, I'll also revisit a couple of excellent queen rearing setups, the Miller method and the Alley method. Really easy techniques for raising multiple queen cells as long as you follow a few simple rules. I like the Alley method in particular, as for me, it feels easier to isolate individual queen cells to be raised, whereas the Miller method always seemed to throw up queen cells that are too close to each other in a kind of back-to-back formation. I suspect that this is down to a lack of discipline on my part, or rather a lack of care when I remove unwanted cells, so maybe just not taking enough time over the process. Hopefully I'll remember this when I set it up this season. The main difference between the techniques is with the Miller method, you cut out several diagonal sections of comb in a brood frame to give exposed edges that queen cells are drawn down from. And with the alley method, you cut out long horizontal strips and fix these to bars in a prepared frame. The cells then pointing down and the queen cells being drawn from those. The last time I tried it, we had a really high success rate and I believe I could probably produce 20 or more queen cells per frame, which is as many as I can create using grafting or any of the cell cup methods. And of course, those will be the other methods that we'll demonstrate. The Nico system has always worked well for me, along with the Genta system. Both are very similar in the process that they use. The queen is trapped in a cage area and has small cell cups that she can lay eggs into, and these are then transferred into larger holders and suspended in a finisher colony. A finisher colony is one that is hopelessly queenless and completely rammed with bees, so much so that a fair number of them can't get into the hive. It sometimes feels like a testosterone fueled challenge when I see pictures on social media of queen-rearing finisher colonies where the hives are almost covered at the front, with bees that can't get into the brood box because there are so many bees. Beekeepers proudly displaying their hives overflowing with bees. But to be fair, you do need a lot of bees with plenty of resources to build large plump queen cells. So when you see me posting pictures of exactly the same thing, please don't judge me. Anyway, the finisher colony is required for any of the grafting methods and we'll have a go at those too. I like the JZBZ cell cups in particular, and of course there are others available. The Miller method, the Alley method, Nico system, Genta system, and probably several others that I don't know about, all require a hopelessly queenless colony to go to work on the very young larvae that you give them to produce queen cells. So there is a requirement for additional equipment and bees. However, Taking it all the way back to basics, you can simply grab a swarm cell and produce the most fantastic new queens you could possibly hope for. So why wouldn't you want to give it a try this season? Make sure you bookmark my podcast or sign up to the Patreon page to get the whole process as the season unfolds. Links, as usual, are in the podcast notes or on my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Beekeeping short and sweet.